Begin reading with verse 1. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. With a blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind, the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. You've led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed, and you've guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard, they tremble, pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. And now are the chiefs of, of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still as a stone till your people, O Lord, till your people pass by, by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your own abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. For when the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, for the horse and his rider have has he thrown into the sea. And thus far reading in God's holy and everlasting and inerrant word. Let's pray. Lord, as we see uh, the forefathers rejoice, we also rejoice with them. For we, Lord, share the same root and stock of your holy child, Jesus. We are built on the, on the same stone. And Lord, we are thank you, thankful, Lord, that you have brought us in and made one of two people that we might have one God. And Lord, we owe this to you because you have reconciled both to, the, to yourself 
and ourselves to you. So, Lord, we share not only in their victory, but your victory. We pray that our hearts would see the joy of it and learn how to glorify you in song. And, Lord, how to memorialize all that you are and all that you have done and all that you will do, uh, just as these people of old did. Uh, we bless you then, Lord, for your help. We pray that you would still our hearts, that we might be joyful in your presence. In Christ, amen. Please be seated. I actually have two sermons uh, planned here. I, I, this is a, a very, it's a, it's a longer section of scripture. And uh, since this is a, a poetry, it's, it's very dense. And I, I, I don't want to spend a great deal of time in, in the detail of it, but uh, I want to give you an introduction, as it were, to, to this song today. And then um, next time up, hopefully it'll be next week, uh, I'll preach a little bit more about how the the uh, the construction of this of this psalm and how it might be very very easy for us to remember its main teachings as um, uh, it is uh, it is it, the format I believe the, that the Lord gave this to to Moses I think is uh, is meant for that reason it's meant to be recalled in all ages and that would that it, that would include us. Now, the context here, of course, is given to us in verse 19, explaining the great victory that Israel saw right in front of them when Pharaoh and his chariots and horses was uh, giving pursuit, and uh, the people had just crossed over on the dry ground, the Red Sea being parted, and then the Lord just collapsed the walls of the Red Sea. Waters were heaped up, congealed, as it were, and uh, the Lord, by a strong arm, uh, took and... Uh, Closed up the sea, closed up those walls, swallowed them up. He he hurled them. Says the scripture, he hurled them with his right arm into the depths, and they sank like a stone. Uh, this uh, showing showing utter utter contempt uh, for the strength and boast of that wicked kingdom that would defy Jehovah and His will and would harm His people. This is what <coughs> Jehovah uh, his his judgments are, are strange work. They're rare. But when he performs them in fury, uh, his arm is not shortened, that he cannot deliver him with great, great power. So the context then is that Jehovah's uh, great military victory over the nation of Egypt, his, uh, his people's enemies. And then this, uh, this is the first song that is given in Scripture. And it is the first song uh, given in Scripture is for congregational use but it also has a feature of being uh, uh, personally owned, not, not, by, not only by Miriam, who seems to take up a refrain or even the entrite and leading the women to sing further, uh, but uh, pers personifying in the personal pronoun, possessive pronoun, my God, and not just our God. The teaching here is that Jehovah, and um, Jehovah's, Israel's God, is, is to be greatly praised in song by his redeemed congregation. Jehovah, uh, Israel's God, is to be greatly praised and sung by his redeemed congregation. Now, when you say Jehovah, and I, I, I keep repeating Jehovah because uh, more, and more, uh, more and more churches are getting away from saying Jehovah God uh, or Yahweh. I, I don't really have any, any conviction about either way. But uh, you can pronounce it either way. But, but it is important because we glean something from the name Jehovah that you do not glean from the word God. And it's very important in this, in this song, and, and I'll bring it up, especially feature it 
I'll, I'll mention it this evening, but I'll, also, I'll, I'll actually feature it in my next sermon in this, in this song. So uh, the great I am, Jehovah, that's, that's who we're talking about, the I am. Uh, and he is Israel's God. He's greatly to be praised and sung by his redeemed congregation. So the, the sermon really has three points, but it has uh, the, the um, I've got five points in an outline simply because it has a <clears throat> sort of an explanatory note for context and then a, a refrain that, that Miriam takes up. The first thing we see here is that Jehovah must be praised and sung by his redeemed people. Uh, they, above all people, have reason to sing. Uh, all people really have reason to sing, even though we live in a sinful world and we are estranged from God. Yet God is sufficiently good to all his creatures, uh, giving them uh, food and, and raiment and, and water and pleasant places. He gives them families, all these things. And people do sing. Uh, but uh, the people who should sing the most uh, with the most gusto <laughs> and, and the people that have the, the greatest reason to sing are the redeemed of the Lord. Now, we can sing here as uh, Moses uh, writes to us in the, in the very first verse uh, as individuals. Moses did. He says, I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider he is thrown into the sea. The sea. The Lord is my strength, my song. He's become my salvation. In this song, we, we own God and we express God that he is our God, not just a God and not just the God of the people that we, that we worship with. But then it's also important that we have a corporate, uh, a congregational or corporate context because we share all things as members of God's household, as God's people. And so what we have here in verse 1 is a synopsis, you might say, of the whole song, but it is also meant to introduce the, the whole song and, and bring it to remembrance so that if, if I were to say to you, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and the rider is thrown into the sea, then you uh, can pick up on two, verses 2 and 3 and, and so on, uh, especially if, if you have some practice in this. Well, anyway, Jehovah then is praised by his redeemed people. The second point is that he's to be, uh, he's to be praised for um, who he is, who he is to his redeemed people. Now, the Lord is not this to every person, but he is this to his covenanted people, especially to those who he has purchased and drawn out of Egypt. And to his redeemed people, here in verse 2, we have this wonderful, wonderful uh, uh, description of who he is. He is Jehovah my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. Of course, the I am is the God who is. And this is how we diagram this song so we can remember it, and I'll deal again, next sermon preaching in more, more detail. The I am has an, a who is component, and he is strength. That is to say, we saw him... Uh, Keep up the mighty waters. Have you ever considered the weight of water? One of the reasons I can't keep very large aquariums is in changing the, the water uh, in these reef tanks. Uh, if I were to do a 10% water change every week, that's a lot of work. Water weighs 8.5 pounds per gallon. So I'm having to, to you know, a five-gallon bucket uh, to change the water weighs, you know, 40 or 40 pounds. And that, you know, that's a lot of water to be carting around the living room. 
But he does this thing very, very, very simply. He does millions of gallons of water, piling them up. He takes these chariots, these horses, <laughs> and all their riders, and he lifts them up and he hurls them. It's not a drop. <laughs> it's, a, it's a body slam. He is so disgusted with these people that he drives them, drives them down. That is strength. That's what he is to us. He's my strength. I have enemies, but the Lord fights for me. Have you thought about this? It's just not that he's in general our provider and protector. No, it's that he is a warrior, as we're going to find out, and his, his strength is for me. This is a delightful, delightful and joyful note, and you ought to remember this. The Lord is uh, also my song. That is to say, <clears throat> poetically speaking, because this is poetry, he's, he's my, my reason to sing. I, I have reason not to dread. I have reason not to be downcast. And, uh, but I have reason to joy and to celebrate. And not only to celebrate in my heart, make a melody to the Lord in my heart, because most of the time I'm in work, or school, I can't go around singing, although some people try. But uh, you, you can sing in the congregation, and he has become your song. <clears throat> now, this is the key verse that I'm going to, <laughs> to open up next week, because there's actually a whole lot more in saying that the Lord is your song. But let's just wait. I don't want to leak anything too early here. I'll keep you in some tension and suspense. The Lord is my strength, and he's, he's my song. He's my cause of celebration and dancing. And the Lord Jehovah is my salvation. <clears throat> now, it's particularly important here that, uh, I haven't got it in my notes, but from my memory of the, uh, of the Hebrew, the, that the Lord Jehovah in this section is, is simply called Yah. And so, uh, and, and that is, again, an, an expression for Jehovah that is found in the last book uh, of, uh, of the Bible, the book of Revelation. But it's interesting, the bringing up this this contracted uh, expression of, of a small root, Jehovah or Yahweh, uh, in, in when you're saying that the Lord is my salvation, then you get Yah with the root for salvation, and you really do get Jesus uh, out of this. The Jehovah is salvation. <laughs> what you're saying here, you're, you're taking on the name of, of the Savior. Uh, and this by Moses, 1,450 years before Christ. But anyway, that's the nature of prophetic literature, and it's very beautiful, very subtle, but people surely may not have had this in mind, but it's all there. And that's why I say that this song is a prototypical song, and uh, its outline and form should be used in all places at all times. But again, that's, I'm getting ahead of myself in my preaching. How is Jehovah strength, song, and salvation? What does he say this from? Well, we saw. We cried out to Jehovah God, and he saved us. He heard us. And he came down, and he saw, says the scriptures. And so he delivered. He remembered his promises to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. So he, he saved us from a, a very cruel slavery, from the house of bondage, and from uh, the, our enemies who were filled with contempt for us, uh, who despised us and would enrich themselves by our, uh, by our sweat and by our, our labor. And he becomes... Uh, the, the, the people's redeemer. And this is the, the beautiful picture that's laid out for us in, in the Passover uh, and in the blood of the Passover and in the Exodus. He takes us to himself. 
Now, as I mentioned before, who is he? He is my personal God, not just to Moses God, but everyone who's singing. We, these words are put by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit puts these words in our mouth. He, he wants us to take these words and put them in our mouth, and not only just, just parrot them back to him, but he wants us to own it so we can say amen sometime. So it's my personal God, and here we find out that it's my Father's, my Father's God. Which means that uh, these are the same ones that we sung about in, in this last song that we sang. The generations before us, our fathers, will remember the deeds of the Lord and would recount them to, his, to their children and their children's children. And uh, about their faithfulness. And this, ironically, I don't know if you caught the iron, the irony in singing that song. <laughs> it's really amazing. We sing it in humility uh, because our fathers were failures, says that song. Our fathers were, were failures, but they want us to know that they failed. And they want us to know that God saved them anyway. That's a remarkable, that's a remarkable thing for any nation. You know, the songs of the nations don't go that way. They like to boast in their kings and they like to boast in their strength and how fast they were and how furious they were. Our fathers were a failure, but God saved us anyway. This is a remarkable thing. My father's God. And he is a warrior. The, uh, Jehovah is a man of war. That is to say, it's not, it's not, it's not saying that he's always battling. Uh, but for us, uh, he wins the day because he's, he's, he's one that is mightier than any Goliath that could be presented to him. That's, uh, that's his name, and it reiterates his name. The Lord's name Jehovah there is all over the place in these first three verses. And he loves, he loves to reiterate the name just as you love to say the name of the person you love. Uh, when you hear the word of the person you love, your heart leaps. And when you hear the word, uh, the name of Jehovah, then you also uh, leap, as it were, because he's, he's your God. He's your, your greatest good. You can't conceive of anything better than this Lord who is your God. Now, the redeemed of, the, of Jehovah then exalt uh, in exuberant singing. Uh, and it's because they know him as their God. And, and so when we sing, we ought to be very, very much aware, not only of the words and, the, and their sense, but we ought to be aware of how, what, what our posture is in this. Are, are, we, are we moved by these words when we sing? Uh, I, I don't want to be critical here, but I know, and I don't want to pick, point anybody out, but some, some, some people in church sing as if they, they had a sore throat. Maybe they do. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe we all have sore throats some days. But you've got to open your mouth. And you've got to put your chest on. You've got, you got to make a sound, you see. And then people who are visiting might believe you. <laughs> You're actually exalting and joyful. Now, I don't want to pick on you. I, I don't want to critique. But we can all do better. And I know some of you are very good. Maybe some of you are very good at portraying that joy. So I'm not picking on, on every particular person. Open your mouths, man. You're going to have to open your mouths and sing. Have you ever seen these, one of these little birdies up there when he's doing well and he needs a mate, he's on top of the tree, and that thing can be heard for three city blocks? He wants to be heard. So we need to be singing like we want to be heard, that like God is delighted to hear from us, and, uh, and we delight in the praises of our God. Uh, and so we praise him for who he is to us, to his redeemed people. The second thing is that we, we must praise 
Jehovah in song for what he has done. Because he is not only the God who is, but he is the God who ever was. He is from eternity. And he has uh, surely not just had existence, he has done something by his existence. And what he has done in the more immediate context of this song is that he has defeated Egypt's finest by hurling them down. It was, it was just no contest. Uh, he commanded the sea to drown them. Why? Because he is the creator of the seas and the dry land and the depths. And so if he is the creator, he knows their makeup and he can change their makeup at will. And so he's proved himself to be the God of Israel, but also the God of all creation. He's found a way for Israel to walk on, the, on absolutely dry ground. But at the same time, he sank Egypt like a stone to the bottom of the Red Sea. If there can be, my friends, no greater statement of the pleasure that God has for his people in taking them to himself and the absolute disdain that Jehovah has for, any, for anyone that would defeat, to, to defy his will, to challenge him uh, in his authority, and to hurt his beloved, his beloved people his beloved redeemed. So he was in anger. In anger, he, he obliterated uh, enemies. This was a blast from his nostrils. <clears throat> Sometimes I, I don't know if you've ever been in a field and you, uh, you see a horse or a large beast. Probably the most frightening one I've seen was a, a large bull. I think his name was Stanley. He was, a, he was an Angus. A, he, was an, uh, he was an Angus bull. And that, that thing, it must have weighed 20 to 100 pounds, I think. And one day, uh, <clears throat> I was standing with, with my son, Daniel. Daniel was probably four years old. Little Daniel. Stanley, Stanley the bull liked Daniel. But Stanley the bull did not like me. And so when I looked at him across this makeshift little wooden fence with a few barbed wires, he snorted on me like, like he, it was contempt. I won't, I won't make that noise here with this microphone. It was just... It was hideous. He just, he scoffed. There was a blast from his nostrils, and that's what the Lord Jehovah did. It's utter contempt. contempt. And uh, it's, it's, it's also um, interesting that the imagery here, poetically, uh, <clears throat> the wind came, and it was a figure of, the, of a spirit. It was what parted uh, the ocean and made, made the crossing for, for Israel. But then also, a blast from his nose, as it were. You know, he he breathed his spirit into mankind, so his spirit can do any number of things. We we usually associate the Holy Spirit with life and creation and all that, uh, but he can create havoc if he wanted to, and so that blast was as a spirit coming out of uh, Jehovah, poetically speaking. Uh, Jehovah is angry with the wicked every day, uh, but especially those who would hurt his people. Uh, and so, my friends, we need to make sure that we are aligned with Jehovah and his will. And we pray, thy will be done. Thy kingdom come, uh, not, my, not, will, not my will be done. And so if you are with him, good. If you have surrendered to this almighty God uh, who cares for his people and delivers them from cruelty, from cruel bondage, from slavery, uh, uh, then, uh, my friends, you are altogether safe because that's what he has done in the near context for his redeemed people. So we cover his, uh, who he is, strength, song, and salvation, who he, uh, what he's done, who he was, 
he was the, uh, the mighty warrior that blasted away at his and our enemies. And then finally, for we must pray him and praise him in song for what he will do for his redeemed people. Uh, and this is, what will he do? He will be, he will be our king. He, he will march his people as a nation, and he is marching his people forward in time. Now this is, a, as it were, a bit of prophecy, because they're on the shores of the Red Sea, and uh, they're, they're looking to cross a, a wilderness, and uh, before them is the promised inheritance. And as they come to their promised inheritance, he will lead them, and this is how he will lead them. He will, first of all, since he is incomparable among the gods, he is a, a glorious king. Uh, the, the song here calls him, uh, Who is like you, in verse 11, Who is like you, O Jehovah, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? If you've seen movies, now I've never seen this in real life because we don't have kings with armies and banners and all that, but uh, the, the Bible attests to the glory of a king among his army. And, and, the, and there can be no more glorious king in holy array than, than Jehovah God leading them in their pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And all of his people in holy array following him and he leading majestically and triumphantly um, and, uh, as a shield to these. He will lead them in, their, in his steadfast love, says this song. He will guide them by his strength. And he knows where to take them. Now, if you, chart, if you chart the course later, if you have a map and there's some conjecture about all the names of these places uh, where, where Israel is traveling, uh, you're going to see that it, it does seem to meander quite a bit, especially after uh, the, uh, the decline of the promise in entering the, the Canaan land. Then, then that, that really there was a form of discipline, and so they were, they were, they were beginning to wander in the, in the desert. But anyway, he will guide them by his strength. <clears throat> He will do this, certainly, to his holy abode. Again, this is prophecy. And in so doing, uh, what's interesting here is the nations all around have already heard. Word has gotten around. By the way, if we, have, if we, would, never, if we would never preach or proclaim the gospel, the gospel would make its way around the nations just by gossip. In fact, I'm sure, I'm sure that most of the, of the world heard a great deal about the resurrection of the dead and all the occurrences and in Jerusalem, just by gossip and not by formal proclamation of the word. But here, the nations ahead of them are terrified. They had heard already the devastation, uh, the complete <laughs> desecration of Israel and all their false gods. And, and now they hear of this, that they've actually crossed the Red Sea, two and a half million people. And what are they doing? They're coming at us through what? A desert? This what? And so they are horrified. This is a worse than any Halloween in North America, guys. All right? The nations ahead of them are terrified because they've heard the renown of this king, King Jehovah, of his people. And they, uh, <clears throat> they can do nothing, says this, uh, this, uh, this, poem, this song. They can do nothing but sit still. They are filled with terror and dread that has fallen upon them. They are still as a stone. Again, bring, bringing to back in this poetry the, 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 the idea of, of Egypt sinking to the bottom. They also will sink. Now, what's interesting is they, these nations will 
give the right of way, they'll give the right of way to, to Israel because of the majesty of Jehovah leading them. And uh, but in this in this group are named two distant relatives of Israel. They are not the promised people. They are not the covenant uh, people of, of Jehovah, but they have heard from their forefathers of the strength of Abraham's God and all that. That's still that's still in their memory, and uh, and so. But the Lord has passed by. That He did not. He did not choose Ishmael. No, He did not choose Esau. No, He did not. He 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 chose Isaac and He chose Jacob, and that's that's His prerogative. He's the sovereign King. That would make them even more frightening, you know. Why did he not? Why am I not in this company? And and why is he? We better. We just have to respect this, this mighty, mighty King Jehovah. Jehovah then will dwell with his people forever. That's his intention. That's his goal. His goal is not to just frighten Egypt like a big, big, giant god, you know, like some mean man going into a kindergarten and being a spook to all the children. Come on, that's not. That's not why he's doing it. What he's doing is he's gathering a people to himself. Jehovah will dwell, and he will dwell with his people forever. Not just simply tabernacle with them, but he will dwell. Uh, Jehovah will bring them into their inheritance. This is all prophetic. This is all uh, 40 years in anticipation of, of, the, of the event actually occurring. He will bring them into uh, their inheritance. He will plant them and settle them. And he has a holy mountain. <clears throat> Again, a picture uh, you may have heard me uh, teach or preach this before. Uh, this theme of mountains representing a return to the Mount of Paradise, or at least a place, a high point where God and man dwell. Uh, it's an ancient symbol. I, I spoke in preaching of Egypt that the Egyptians had this notion in their head, and they, they made mountains uh, out, of, out of brick. They made, they made pyramids, and they're false religions. But there was a, a notion there about returning to a hill. But Jehovah then will settle them on his holy mountain, and that's his holy abode. That's his, that's his as it were, a home. Now, again, this is, not, uh, this is not technical theological language. This is a poem, okay? And, and it's a song, and it's meant to convey a place where Jehovah settles, is comfortable, is at peace, and especially that he says peace with his people. It's Jehovah's sanctuary, which is uh, a place where he has prepared for his own dwelling. And Jehovah, of course, is, as I mentioned, is king. That's his throne. That, that's from where he will rule, and that's from where he will settle his people forever. That <clears throat> the notion of Jehovah's sanctuary, Jehovah's abode, uh, will be developed more and more and more throughout all of the revelation. Moses is just beginning here to uh, write the revelation of God in the book of Exodus. And he will develop it further, and the typology of the sacrifices and the typology of, of the temple, all of that is to, is to uh, build upon this song as the Lord's settling with his people and bringing them uh, to his, his own place. Now, of course, the whole Bible has the whole Bible has that narrative, and in the book of Revelation, we'll find the city of God descending. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> you see uh, a description there of its beauty and of its uh, of its uh, of its form and all that, and and so then God will be with us and we will be with God forever. That's the story, and, and so the story is uh, is is meant to be 
remembered because it has characteristics of being not just the first song, but as it were, the last. So its utility is for all people, for all ages, and, and all time. That is to say, all the people uh, who are redeemed, who can sing it with joy. Now, <clears throat> the, the remaining verses here is, is merely an exhortation, but it bears some comment, because Miriam takes up the refrain, or the intro, the, the intro, and she has, uh, the, this features not merely a recapitulation, uh, that is to say, a restating of, of, the, of the narrative of the song, but also an exhortation, because Miriam exhorts the women. She exhorts the women to sing Jehovah's praises. She's actually, she's saying there, uh, Miriam, in verse 20, Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine, okay? And Miriam sang to them, to the, to the women, sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and the rider he's thrown into the sea. So this is an exhortation, and, and really Christians are to be exhorting one another unto godliness, church attendance. Okay, well, maybe you can help me out and not be the only voice saying, hey, come on, let's, let's, let's worship on Sunday evenings. I mean, uh, or uh, you can also exhort uh, other believers when you're here. Uh, because in Colossians 3, we are told that uh, our task as worshipers of God is to sing to one another, psalms and uh, hymns and spiritual songs. In other words, some psalms are addressed to God, and some psalms are addressed to one another. You'll see this is if you study the psalms. You say, why are we taking up the psalm and we're speaking to one another? Well, we are, because we're admonishing one another, and this is a pattern that is established very early on in the first song with Miriam, of all things. Well, Miriam is, is a prophetess, but she's not one of authority. But you have authority in the church to sing to one another and exhort to one another. And you have authority to admonish one another when you go wrong. Surely you do. That's what the scripture commands us to do. Otherwise, your elders and your minister will be worn to a thread. But you can surely share the joy and exhort others to, to joy. Look at Colossians 3. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. <clears throat> and um, I'm, again, my, my future treatment on this is going uh, to include this and this very song as one of those that we are exhorted to sing. So Moses uh, sang to them. As Miriam sang the very first verse, probably as a, again, as a recapitulation, a synopsis, or maybe as, a, as an intro. She sang with great joy. She uh, maybe had heard from Moses and from uh, her, uh, her brother Aaron some of what uh, Jehovah had in, in store for his people and saw the outworking of this in the great congregation as, as Egypt went down. And, and this was a, a delight for, for, Mir, for Miriam. Um, by the way, her, her name, uh, the root seems to be bitter. Uh, but she who was bitter is, is triumphant here. Uh, well, I only say this because we're going to come to the bitter waters immediately after this. Uh, and it's very interesting that Miriam is the, is the first thing that's brought up before we're next to the next passage. And I, I'll look into this more in my study. Anyway, she's with tambourines making a, making a lot of ruckus just to draw attention. And with dancing, you can't miss that. An exuberant expression of joy. Uh, and so this is, of course, an, ex an exhortation that they are to exhort Jehovah God, their God, for rescuing them and for destroying their enemies. So <clears throat> let me bring this to a synopsis. Let me bring this to a conclusion. Jehovah, the great I am, Israel's God. He is the God who is and the God who was. 
and he is the one who is coming. He's the, the coming king. And so Jehovah expresses the whole of what we have in song. And that's why, and I'll preach it next time, that's why we say Jehovah is my song. He's become my song. Jehovah is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is greatly to be praised in song by his redeemed congregation. Now, my friends, do you know a little bit of the joy of the Lord? Do you know what it is to own Jehovah as your God? Our catechism, our shorter catechism, explains that the, the preface to the Lord's Prayer uh, it makes that clear. That God is our Heavenly Father, but he's, he's not only our God, but he's my God. I'm sorry, that's the preface to the Ten Commandments. He's, he's not only God in general, but he's my God. And we are to understand the law of God in that way. He's speaking personally to me as my God. Even as Moses says here, I will sing to the Lord for he is triumph. The Lord is my strength and my song. He's become my salvation. Another thing to ask yourself is how, how really strong, how exuberant, how joyful is your singing? <clears throat> or better, how strong is your faith? Can you see what is invisible with spiritual eyes and see the one who is in our midst, who was in all the mighty acts described in the scriptures, and who is that coming king who will certainly deliver us in joyful triumph over all our enemies? We need to be that way or we will we'll scarcely have anything to, to, to sing about. Remember, let's not let, let's not let the warblers meet us and, and outsing us in the congregation. For crying out loud, it's just a little tiny pair of lungs, but that thing can tweet. How strong is your faith? According to your faith will be your rigor at song. These are, by the way, our spiritual fathers. This is not an interesting lesson. Gee, those people of old, aren't they quaint tambourines? Oh. These are our fathers singing. We, 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 have been, we have been brought into the same root, the stock, of Israel. And, and so these are our forefathers celebrating our God. And so we must identify them uh, even as the Lord's redeemed. And of course, when, when one member exalts, then we all exalt. And no doubt, many of these souls are, are around the throne of, of the Lord in heaven now. And they're still singing the new song, and they're still singing the song of Moses, according to what we, the picture, if we take that narrative literally, they're in the in the latter chapters of the book of Revelation. And if you can't, if you can't, if you can't identify with this, if you think all this is kind of crazy, then we need to ask yourself, are, are you sure that you're redeemed? Do you really know what it means to have a sure word of prophecy that you will dwell with Jehovah on his holy hill forever? Look, this prophecy was given 40 years before the event before Jehovah began to, began to settle them in the new land under Joshua. And yet when they saw it, they would remember this song that the Lord is absolutely faithful and that Moses was his prophet and we should believe everything that he has declared. And as sure as the Lord has uttered it, that, that's as sure as done with him. And so meditate and think about these things that you will dwell with Jehovah in his holy house forever on his holy mountain. And then finally, will you, will you commit? Will you, uh, will you lead? Will you exhort others to praise Jehovah God? Will you be a catalyst for praise? 
Will you be a good example? Not only in prayer, but in song and in exuberant song. Will you, will you be of those that will uh, grab people by the cuff and, and, as it were, just constrain them to come? Constrain them to come to worship because uh, we are the joyful people of the Lord God, the redeemed. Now, <clears throat> the Lord also had a prophetic word for us on the last night with his disciples. He's, he was there with his friends and he wanted them to remember that he was the Passover lamb, that he was the lamb <clears throat> that uh, spilled his blood and that his blood was uh, that new covenant which would take away all the, their sin, would cover all their sins and trespasses and would achieve not only reconciliation and favor with God and cleansing, covering of sin, but actually redemption. This is the table of the redemption. This is, this is how we celebrate uh, the redemption. It, 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 we can celebrate it in song as we do uh, week by week, but we can also celebrate it in a sacrament. Signs and symbols of the mighty deliverance of God in Christ as he took us up to be his people and that he wants us to remember that sacrifice. Will the elders please come forward and we will celebrate the Lord's Supper. <clears throat> on the last night of his earthly life was in the upper room in Jerusalem with his friends, the disciples, and he was at table. <clears throat> and he wanted them to know that what was about to happen was not happenstance. It had purpose and design. It, had, it would be effectual to the saving of Jehovah's people. And not only merely that, but to all of, all of the people of God, that he was to die a priestly death and uh, be their substitute. And just as the Passover is kept in memory, memorialized in Egypt, excuse me, the Passover in Egypt was memorialized in, in Israel, we here have a memorial of Christ's great passion, his suffering, his death, and not merely an historical event but it should be charged in your own minds and hearts that he did this because he loved us. He did this because of his faithfulness to his Father and gathering of people to, to himself. He did this for the sake of truth and out of great pity for we who were enslaved to sin. We had a cruel overlord in Satan and he took us from our lowly estate and he brought us and gave us faith, befriended us, reconciled us, and now he promises this same meal will be celebrated on the last day when he comes. Uh, he will drink the cup again, but not until he meets us at the other end. And at that time, we will see what a great gift the Lord Jesus has done for us 
and the beauty of this sacrament and reminder. Here are the words of its institution. So Paul says to the Corinthian Christians, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. By the way, again, this is a word of exhortation. By taking this bread and drinking this cup, you are exhorting your brothers and sisters in this congregation. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and the drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And that's why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But he goes on, if, even, if we, if, even if we incur the discipline of God, it's because he loves us, and though our body is judged, he will preserve our spirits on the day of his return. Let's pray. Lord, these are simple elements. They can be used by your church anywhere on earth. Simple bread and wine. But we pray, Lord, that these common things, these common elements might be holy elements, useful in the Master's hands for blessing and for conveying the most sublime truth, the body and blood of Christ. Help us in this endeavor. Grant us faith in Christ. Amen. And that night he was betrayed, the Lord took bread and he broke the bread. 
gave it to his disciples and he said, this, this bread is my body, it's broken for you. You do this as often as you do, remembering me. Yeah. 